Well, good morning. Wow, that was a very warm response. Thanks for that. First service, they hadn't had enough coffee. We still love them, though, don't we? In fact, I hear you're going to get to go back to being one church, uh, Lord willing. That's exciting. Uh, it's a joy to be back. This is our church. You are our people, and we're just grateful for the pastors and the elders that allow us to come back, and for the brothers and sisters who so faithfully pray for us and support us. Uh, every time I come back, I realize I have a whole bunch of new brothers and sisters in Christ, because I don't know half of you, which is great. Some of you have come up to me and said, hi, is this your first time? <laughs> kind of. I mean, kind of yes, kind of no, and you've just been so warm and so hospitable, so we are grateful. So thank you so much for loving us in spite of me. We all know that uh, you guys love my wife and my kids more than me. You didn't have to respond so quickly to that. I mean, I know it's true, but uh, we're just grateful to be back. Uh, Ken and the elders asked me to do something a little different. For those of you who come to Lakeside, this is a time to exposit the Word of God, to preach the Word of God, and I'm not going to do that. Uh, They asked me to come back and give an update on Albania, and then at the end, end with something that's been on my heart, uh, particularly in relation to the unreached people groups as it relates to the Great Commission. And so this is a different Sunday Uh, I've got pictures and PowerPoint and video, and I'm not going to dance any Albanian ethnic dances for you. Sorry, that's not going to happen. But uh, just to learn a little bit about our ministry, and and Ken and the elders were were, were thinking that, you know, the church doesn't know the Stires because there's so many new people. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to come and do this and just to share a little bit about our ministry. Uh, When you look up on that screen, what do you see? Us. This is not about us. This is about Christ. It's about the gospel. And it's about the work that Jesus is doing all over the world, and particularly in Albania and the Balkans. And so I just want to encourage us, as you hear me sharing and talking about us, that we give God the glory, that we praise the name of Jesus, because does God need the stires in Albania? He can still do his ministry without us, right? In fact, often it seems like he does, in spite of me, in spite of us. But I just want to encourage us as we talk about Albania and, and you hear about it, that we would just give God the glory and the praise because he alone is worthy. Amen? Well, Albania, how long have you been there, Chris? Uh, seven years. Uh, I, I know I look skinnier and younger there. <laughs> if you could see this side, you would realize that I have a lot more gray hair. This side is four daughters. This side is learning a foreign language, and so I expect next time I come back, I'll, I'll even have more gray hair, or, or no hair, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. But it's been a joy. It just seems like yesterday we left, and now it's been seven years. Um, and does anyone know where Albania is? Now, no pressure, but if you get this wrong, you're buying everyone lunch, <laughs> or chill or bee or something. Wait, the hand went down. Man, I scared you. Anybody? Albania. Anyone? Yes. In the Balkans, excellent. That's a, it, it, okay, it actually wasn't, but it's right down south of what was former. That was a very good, you, you have the, the geographical location. Normally I get Algiers. Uh, that's, that's a different part of the world. But uh, anyone else? Albania? How about if I show you? 
It's next to Greece. All right, there we go, Albania. If the boot heel of Italy was to kick back, it would kick us. Now you'll never forget where Albania is, will you? Uh, so we're just north of Greece, and we're surrounded by Macedonia, Kosovo, Montenegro. You see Bosnia, Serbia. We live in Tirana, the capital of Albania. Uh, it's about the size of New Jersey. There's a little over 3 million Albanians living there. In fact, there are more Albanians living outside of Albania than in Albania. In fact, just along 105, I've already interacted with some, gotten to practice my Albanian. It's been great. Uh, now, what's interesting about Albania is a very unique past, a very unique history. So rather than trying to explain it to you, I thought we would show a video. We've got some audio here. Uh, just a little bit about the unique history of Albania. A citadel has always commanded the mountain passes into Albania. Two centuries before the birth of Christ, Roman soldiers fought and died over these castle walls. And since then, armies of the, the Huns, the Vandals, the Goths, the Serbs, the Turks, have all fought over these, these grounds. This is a land truly drenched in blood. There's been another battle raging in recent years. Not a battle of armies and guns, but a battle for souls. Twenty years ago, there was not a single gospel witness in this country. And what we have seen is a bold advance of the kingdom in Albania. After storing my gear, I took a walk to the old square in the heart of the capital. The impressive statue of Skanderbeg keeps watch over the bustling center. The heroic Skanderbeg defended Albania against the Turks, stalling the advance of Islam during his lifetime. Ironically, his equestrian figure sits in the shadow of a mosque, for Islam now claims much of the country. Nearby are the remnants of Albania's disastrous years of communism. A mosaic on the march, one of uplifted arms from every corner of the country. Their adoring faces look down upon, well, they used to look down upon a giant bronze image of the dictator Inver Hoxha. Hoxha brought a brand of communism and cult worship that would have been the envy of Stalin or Mao. He declared the religion of Albania to be atheism. But Hoja was a cheap cheat who cleared the deck of all other gods so that he alone would be worshipped. School children even wrote love letters to him, addressing him as their daddy. He destroyed the mosques and churches, burned the Bibles and every scrap of religious literature. He cut Albania off from the outside world. And in a kind of national psychosis, he convinced his people they were under threat of imminent attack from America. He told them that their poverty was wealth and their hope was Hoja. It was one of the longest and most successful lies in history. After Hoja's death, Albania slowly shook off its shackles. It was the last of the Iron Curtain dominoes to fall after the Berlin Wall came down. Pulling down Hoja's statue was the grand finale. The white marble pedestal where it stood is now cracked, littered, and smells like a latrine. The people have moved on, pursuing other gods of their own making. 
So then Verhoja convinced the country that there is no God. Just imagine rewriting all of the school books, all of the literature. There is no God. He was equal opportunity. It didn't matter if you were a Muslim, a Catholic. It didn't matter if you were a Buddhist. You were killed, you were imprisoned, or you were thrown out of the country. And so over 50 years, he reigned in Albania. Uh, and so basically... 1985, Enver Hoxha dies, uh, but then by 92, 91, 92, freedom comes in to the country, uh, religious freedom after 50-plus years. Over 750,000 of these bunkers dot the, the landscape of Albania. Just imagine your school children being trained, the bell rings, ding, 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 and the kids run out, grab a rifle, run into the nearest bunker to defend against American and, and, and the Greeks and the Italians. That's how they were trained to think of the rest of the world. And so these bunkers are all over. In fact, we brought one with us. Uh, it's in the back of the room. It's, it's small, don't worry. But uh, that's like the new souvenir thing. It's also an ashtray, but we don't use it for that. Uh, you say, well, Chris, what about the language? The language it's an Indo-European, it's not Slavic, it's totally unique. All of the former Yugoslavian countries actually have kind of a similar language. Albania is totally different. It's a, a derivative of uh, the Tosk language. Uh, so let's try this. You want to try it together or you just want me to say it? Okay, that's fair. Okay. <laughs> Anybody? First John. At least the numbers are the same. You can get that right. I'm going to go with First John 1 9. So that's First John 1 9 in the Albanian language, and we are so grateful. So, what about the religion? Uh, we've got some statistics here 70% Muslim, about 20% Albanian Orthodox. So you're thinking Eastern Orthodoxy, like Russian or Greek Orthodoxy, about 10% Roman Catholicism. How many Protestant followers of Christ? 0.3? Very, very small percentage. Uh, now, of the 70% Muslim, what we have is 50% Sunni, 20% Bektashi. Now, you've probably heard of Sunni. Most Muslims are Sunni Muslims. Anyone heard of Bektashi? Bektashi are the liberal Muslims who got kicked out of the Middle East, landed in tolerant Albania. Their headquarters is in Tirana, Albania. So they're the ones who the Sunni Muslims would look at them as the infidel, just like you and me, uh, because they drink and they still hold the Quran and they still have a hoj, which is like a Sunni imam. So they still have priests, but they follow a different path. And so we have persecution, not persecution like you would experience in Indonesia or parts of the Middle East, but we have persecution of the type where you will be verbally abused, you will be kicked out of the home, that type of persecution. And that could change, but for now, I feel safer in Tirana than I will in just a month when I go visit my family in Los Angeles, California. I feel safer in Albania than in L.A. I don't tell my mom that because that would make her cry, but here is the mosque that you saw in the video. Uh, we go to church when? This is not a trick question. Sunday morning, when does the average Albanian Muslim go to pray? Friday afternoon, 1 p.m. 
So the call to prayer will come. They will have already come. They, obviously, you can see there's not enough room inside the mosque. And so the worshipers, the prayers, uh, prayer, uh, the men that are coming to pray, spilling out along the side even to pray to Allah. And so this is what we have here in Albania. Uh, the next slide, we see the true religion of Albania is Albanianism, nationalism. We had a young man profess to receive Christ on his Facebook page. What do you think he put for religion? Albanian. Because it's more important to be identified with his nation that's been persecuted and occupied all these years than it is to identify with Christ. So we had a nice long talk over some Turkish coffee about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so this is a significant challenge. That's why we have 70% Muslim, but predominantly free religious beliefs. What other Muslim, Islamic nations do you know where that's true? Probably Albania, maybe Kosovo. And so it's a little bit unique because we have a more secularized brand of Muslim. So we went from one of the most closed countries to one of the most open. Uh, We went from a few known believers. I know the video said no known believers. I've met a few. There was a handful. But here's the thing. 50 plus years of communism and atheism Missiologists, those are the ones who study missions in the world, they can find no evidence of an underground church. What other country in the pages of church history do you know where there was no underground church? Even North Korea, one of the most closed nations right now, we have reports that there is an underground church in North Korea. We can find no evidence of Christians meeting together. We just have reports of individuals living in this village or this town or this village. And so why is that? Well, God allowed it. God allowed Enver Hoxha, this dictator, to believe that he had destroyed religion, killed God. There is no God. Is that ever going to happen, church? Can that happen? Can anything destroy the church for which Jesus shed his blood? Aren't you glad? And so for whatever reason, God allowed this dictator to believe he had wiped out Christianity. 50 years, Enver, you're dead, boom. Communism, you're done, end. And the light of Christ came in to Albania. In fact, I've heard some people say that God uses communism and atheism in Albania to prepare their heart to receive the gospel. Because when people were proclaiming Christ, people were so ready to know their Savior. So we went from a few known believers to about 12,000. Today we have complete religious freedom in a Muslim nation. And then what about the condition of the church in Albania? Well, They did a survey in 2003, about 22,000 Christians. They did a survey a couple years later, 2009, 11,000 Christians. Is the church growing? No. Why not? Next. Well, it's because when you're building a house, what's the most important part? The foundation. If you get the foundation wrong, what happens? Your wife cannot get into the bathroom because the door does not open, right? And that's an important part of her daily routine. You don't want to prevent that from happening. Foundation cracks. Things happen. And so many of these Albanian church plants were not founded on biblical principles. Again, well-meaning missionaries who just loved Jesus and loved the Albanians and came to share Christ. People heard. They repented. They put their faith in Jesus Christ. They weren't church planters. They weren't pastors. They didn't even know how to pastor a church. But they were all these Albanians had. And so many of these well-meaning missionaries did the best that they could, 
But unfortunately, a lot of these church plants were not grounded on biblical principles. 20 years later, guess what we're seeing? A shrinking church. Because when you don't get the foundation right, it affects the church later on. And so we see, fourthly, the average Albanian pastor has little to no biblical training. And then lastly, they usually spend about one to two hours a week on their Sunday morning sermon. So if Pastor Ramey came, had spent one to two hours for his sermon on Sunday, how would that impact you as a church over time? You would be anemic, you'd be weak, you would be, temptation would come, you would not be prepared to respond to it. And that's what we're seeing in the Albanian church. So there's a huge need for pastoral discipleship. Well, what about our personal lives? We can go through these relatively quickly. Uh, My lovely wife homeschools our four daughters. Now, I know you guys know this. Shelly is smarter than me. She's better looking than me. Generally, people like her better than me. Uh, I notice you're not arguing with me, so obviously you agree with me. Uh, I'm just so blessed with my wife. She does such a phenomenal job homeschooling. We have a homeschool group that we're a part of. And uh, it's just a joy. Uh, if you're going to be a man in Albania, you play soccer. Are you aware that we have this sport called soccer? Yeah, yeah okay, that's, that's good. Uh, you know you use your feet, right? No hands. That's, that's the rules, right? Nothing, okay. I know, American football, Americans. Uh, September 2008, many of you remember Whitney got a stick in her eye, had to be emergency airlifted from Albania to Istanbul she has macular degeneration caused by an injury for her right eye. We've had to travel to Thessaloniki 16 times because they don't have the medical care in Albania. It's been a great, great uh, source of sanctification. Uh, literally, right after this was taken with her Greek ophthalmologist, she turns to Shelly and I and says, I'm looking at the scar tissue. I'm looking in the eye. There is no medical scientific reason why your daughter should be seeing 2520. And Shelly and I are like, we know why. We have a big God, and we got to share our faith with our Greek Orthodox ophthalmologist. So thank you for your prayers. You guys have been a huge blessing. Just asking us, emailing, how's Whitney, how's Whitney? Um, See, well, Chris, what about your ministry? What are you doing there in Albania? Well, we have been working with Grace Church of Toronto for the first six and a half years of our time in Albania. This was a church that was started by the Grace Ministries uh, missionaries on my team, Rob Provost and Brad Lay. And we've been doing everything from training the music team uh, which has been a joy just to see me hand that off uh, to, hey, who said that? Uh, I have not been doing music ministry for the last year and a half for the first time. Uh, Ken fondly refers to me as Jonah, not in the positive sense. Um, and, but it's been a joy to see the Albanians doing leadership and leading in this way. And so that's been a joy to see that. And then also, we had the privilege to work and do intentional leadership development in the church because, again, we're there to work ourselves out of a job. I'm not there to be the pastor. I'm there to help Albanians be the pastor. And Benny, on your left and a street on, on your right, these were two men that the Lord raised up to be elders of this church. And uh, we, you know, anyone teach your kid how to drive and live to tell the tale? Yeah, okay, there's a few hands. What do you have to do at some point after you teach your kid how to drive? Bray, okay, that's good. <laughs> At some point, you have to do what? You have to, as you're praying, get out of the car. Well, we got out of the car, and we had the privilege to lay hands on Gensi, next slide, there in October, just a couple weeks later. And so now, this church has two lay elders, 
and one Albanian pastor, and we got out of the car. November of 2013, we left. And now the church, the baton has been passed, and these guys are running uh, in leadership. And so we give God all the glory and praise to see this church become truly nationalized. Uh, and they still love each other, they still talk to each other, and they're learning how to do conflict resolution as a team, which is always good, right? Uh, next slide. So you say, well, Chris, you got out of the car. What car did you get into? Uh, Way of Hope Baptist Church. Uh, my good friend, Ganise, has a uh, graduate from our seminary in 2010, has been asking me for years, please come help me, come help me. We wanted to make sure we passed the baton well at Grace Church Toronto before we went to another church. Last six months, we've been working at this church it's been a wonderful transition, uh, and it's just been a blessing. I think part of me has always wanted to be a Baptist. I don't know why. My mom was a Baptist. Um, so it's great just being a part of this church, doing uh, leadership development, really. Next slide. This is Ganese. And I've been discipling him for about four years and just helping him take the things that we taught him in the classroom in our seminary and apply it in the context of pastoral ministry. Because that's what Ganesh needs help with. How do I train leaders, Chris? I'm doing everything by myself. How do I get people committed to the church? How do I make discipleship a regular part of the whole church? These are the practical things that most of these young, small churches are struggling with all over the world. And so I had the privilege to go in and help these guys. Uh, next slide. Preaching. I had this idea, this expectation that I would get to Albania, spend about two years on language, get it, and just be preaching and ministering. And here we are seven years later. I just started preaching in Albanian six months ago. Praise the Lord. I, I mean, I got to tell you, it has been a challenge. Many of you have prayed for me, and I got a long way to go. But I finally got to the point where I could start preaching in Albanian. It feels like I am preaching as a second grader. Jesus loves you. I to love you, follow Jesus. Pray us together. I mean, that's what it sounds like in Albanian. I'm preaching, and they're like, do we have to listen to this for much longer? So you keep praying that I get the language, and then I'm able to use it. I miss preaching. Shelly's doing so much ministry, loving our family, discipling the girls, uh, women's ministry and things that she's able and so I am just rejoicing for her. Uh, this is something we just started biblical counseling in the last couple years. Uh, we, the average conference is about 50, 75 people. We did this, the three of these conferences back-to-back, three different cities. We had over 250 people come to this. One of the, the pastor from the south came up to, to one of our, our other guys that's part of our biblical counseling alliance that we started and said, where have you been for the last 20 years? Nobody is teaching us this. How to use the Bible to help each other grow to be like Jesus. We've never heard this. In fact, there's only one secular hospital that does psychology, secular psychology. She heard about what we were doing, approached my, one of my fellow coworkers in this biblical counseling ministry and said, can we have a coffee? I hear you're doing some great things and I want to learn what you're doing. I mean, even the experts are coming to us and realizing that there's something different about what we're doing. And what is the different thing, church, the Bible, the gospel, Jesus Christ. And so just pray for this ministry because, again, no underground church. We're dealing with a first-generation church. Think about the impact that biblical counseling will have in a second generation, a third generation, where people become instruments in the hands of the Redeemer. So we rejoice for this. Next slide. Uh, we have unreached people groups throughout Albania and the Balkans. These are gypsies, the Roma. Uh, 
Christmas Day, my wife, my kids, we went with our new church to do ministry with the, uh, these uh, Gypsy Roma people. This is me sharing my faith with these Gypsy men. I shared Christ in Albanian, very simple gospel message, and they listened politely, and then they immediately asked for money because they don't want Jesus. They want food because they don't have food. And so this ministry to unreached people groups, to the gypsies, is so challenging. I have a friend who's been doing it for seven, eight years. Three professions of faith. Guess how many of those are walking with Jesus today? Eight years. One professing Christian who is following Jesus. That would be a little discouraging, wouldn't it? And so pray for the Roma because they are an unreached people group. Even in all throughout the Balkans, we have gypsies everywhere. We brought gifts, we sang songs, we shared the gospel, and uh, gave food. There's a next slide there. Uh, So pray for the the Roma. And next slide. This is something also I got to do last summer. Uh, Macedonia is predominantly Orthodox. In the the city of Tetova, it's predominantly Albanian, Sunni Muslim, strong Muslim. Uh, In fact, it's illegal to share the gospel with anyone under 18 in the whole country of Macedonia. Uh, so doing an evangelistic youth camp with kids under 18 was somewhat challenging. But we went there. Guess how many churches there are in this Albanian, predominantly Albanian city in Tetova? Guess how many Christians there are living in Tetova? Does that challenge you a little bit? These people have not only not read a Bible, they've not heard the gospel, they've never even met a Christian Think about that. Next slide. So that's ministry. So, Chris, what about the seminary? What are you doing? Well, we have the privilege to be a part of the seminary. There's some of our professors and students taken just a a few weeks ago. A street continues to do a great job functioning as the dean. He's taken over a lot of the administration so that I can focus on more pastoral mentoring and development. So he's just been a blessing. Again, just like the church, we want to work ourselves out of a job with the seminary and see Albanians training Albanians. So that's going to take time. Next slide, we have just some statistics. You can go through these really quickly. So we have about 10 full-time, 15 part-time students. About 100 students have taken a course since the seminary started. And we have three main programs, which you can read there on the screen. And just been a blessing. Uh, Kosovo, let me just give you a quick update on Kosovo. I'm going really quick. Uh, some of you know why, because you were waiting out in the foyer going, is this missionary ever going to stop talking so we can do Sunday school? Uh, no, I'm not going to stop talking. Remember, I was a disciple of Ken Ramey, so, you know. Don't tell him I said that, please. Anyone realize what is significant about Kosovo? 1991, before Kosovo even existed, it's the newest country in Europe. 1991, Orthodox Christian Serbs were killing ethnic Albanian Muslims in southern Serbia. Our president at the time, Bill Clinton, sends in U.S. American forces to come and basically rescue these Muslim Albanians. Genocide was taking place. Ethnic cleansing was taking place. I've been to Kosovo three or four times. When I'm driving into Kosovo, every third house is still a burned-out husk. These Christian soldiers murdered, pillaged, and raped their way through the whole country. Every town you go through has a marker of all of the men and boys and grandpas and some women that were lined up on the side of the road, shot and buried on the side of the ground. Now, I'm a Christian. 
I have crosses. I have Bibles. I come to Kosovo. How do you think they respond to my message? Get out of our country. We don't want you. And so Kosovo, next slide, just some statistics, uh, about 1.9 million people. It's 90% Muslim, strong Sunni Muslim. And again, they've been persecuted by Christians. They want nothing to do with us, mostly ethnic Albanians. There's only about 2,500 Christians. So we got about, 12, uh, about 12,000 in Albania, 2,500 in Kosovo, only about 22 churches. Uh, and then there's not one Bible college, not one seminary in the whole country. So we've been praying about Kosovo for years. Lord, open the door. We'd love to go up there. We have resources. We have programs that are entirely taught in Albanian to help men learn how to study the Word of God and preach the Word of God. But we were just waiting for God to soften their hearts to invite us. And finally, Brad and I went in 2013. This is our last trip that we went. And we finally got invited to come. And May 24th, just last month, we did our first seminar in Kosovo, and I got an email that they've invited us back. So praise the Lord. God opened the door to Kosovo. So Lord willing, in two years or three years, when we come back again, we'll be able to share about that ministry. And who knows? It might go really, really well, and it might go really, really not well. But who is sovereign over this? God. So pray for us. Pray for wisdom. And and we also have three new Kosovo students that want to start our program. Come to Tirana, We offered to go to them and bring the training to them. They said, no, no, we want to come to you. So just pray for these guys. Next slide. So this is Peya Kosovo, about 100,000 predominantly Muslim Albanians, one evangelical church. And this is Pastor Ghani and his wife Adilia. Brad and I spent the night with them and just visited the town. And he showed us, told us the story. It's just an amazing story how God used war to bring Kosovars to Jesus Christ. Um, So I serve in the seminary three ways. We can go through this really quickly. Uh, Leadership development, church strengthening, church planning. Leadership development, uh, I serve as the director of the seminary. I teach uh, theology and applied theology. Applied theology is like counseling, pastoral ministry, all of those kind of things. Uh, We do classroom instruction. We also have conferences and seminars that we do, uh, one-on-one discipleship. We try to be intentional in that way. Some of our graduates from 08... Uh, some of our graduates from our certificate program in, in 2012, and then these are the guys that are getting ready to graduate in 2014. So right when I get back, we'll do a graduation for these guys. Only two of these guys will continue on to the program because the other two don't speak English. They don't read English. So they, we just don't have the money to translate all the resources into Albanian. So they just can't continue. We lecture in Albanian. They do homework in Albanian. But these guys, it's just a struggle to study uh, in Albanian. So the next slide, this, is, uh, this class just finished up about six uh, weeks ago, seven weeks ago. Guys in my pastoral ministry class, what a joy it was just to help these guys understanding the key. We had nine marks ministry. You guys maybe know Mark Dever from uh, Capitol Hill Baptist in Washington, D.C. We had them come and do our Shepherds Conference in May, May 8th and 9th, and they did a phenomenal job, so well received. So we're looking at ways to continue to partner with nine marks ministry, nine marks of a healthy church is really what the conference was about. Uh, And you guys remember this guy, Dr. Ken Ramey. I say that with utmost respect. Uh, My good, good friend. And he came and did intensive. So we have guys come and do training and things of that nature. So, But we also, I have a huge heart for church strengthening uh, to mentor and disciple Albanian pastors. In the last couple months, I've had two other pastors come to me. Now remember, Albania, Muslim, shame-based culture. 
You don't share your weaknesses. You don't share your struggles. How does that impact discipleship? How deep do you go in discipleship? Because it's shameful. So these Albanian pastors say, hey, Chris, can we have a coffee? Sure, let's go have a coffee. They come to me and say, I need help. I don't know what I'm going to do. Will you help me? Will you disciple me? Will you mentor me? And so I've been meeting with these guys sometimes every week, sometimes every, once every three or four weeks, whenever they can, just helping these guys. And again, the missionaries that came and started these churches left predominantly. Most of them, 20 years later, they've gone back to their countries. We praise God for them, right? Thank you for those missionaries that came in those early years. But the reality is the church, these guys still need help. They don't know how to be a pastor. They don't know how to do these things. And so what a joy. It's an answer to prayer because this is what I love. I can do the academic stuff. Those of you who know me, you know I'm not that intelligent. I can do it barely. But really what I love is just to help the church, strengthen the church. So God's been answering this prayer, weekly discipleship and practical ministry advice, uh, on-the-job training, things along that line. So this is Guinness and Blerta. The next slide is Pastor Endri and then Pastor Altin. Um, and so church planning. I am not a church planner. God has made this very clear, especially in the last couple of years. I'm the guy that helps other people plant churches. I'm that guy. And that's just where my gifting is, and I believe my calling is. And so we've been able to work with Pastor Endri and Altine's churches, relatively new church plants, as they're struggling. Because it's one thing to plant a church, but what if the church ends in two or three years? Now, obviously, God's sovereign over that process, but we believe God wants churches to biblically succeed. Amen? And so that's really kind of a, a role that I've been able to fit with some of these guys, just helping them. And then also any graduates of SETS that are graduating and want to go, we help them. So this is last pictures of just Pastor Endry's church. What do you notice? First thing you see, who's there? A lot of kids, right? What's the next group? It's probably hard to see. You're like, I can't see that far. A lot of women. This is traditionally what you will experience when you visit other churches internationally across the world. A lot of children, a lot of women, very, very few men. So Pastor Endry was confiding in me a couple months ago. I, I believe that there needs to be elders helping me lead the church. I have two 20-year-olds. How do I get them to put their video games down to come help me lead the church? You know, and just helping him. That's who he has. So just being able to help him and, and encourage Pastor Endry in this process has been a great joy. So please pray for them. Prayer requests, you can just list all of those. Pray for us that we have a chance to share our faith. I've learned you never stop learning a language. Pray that we continue. Learning a language has been so humbling and so discouraging. Uh, in fact, now I know why people say I don't want to go overseas because I don't want to learn a language. Uh, because it is hard. But you know what? It's possible. And with the right motivation and with God's help, you can do it. So I just want to encourage those of you like me, you know, you're afraid to go to Honduras because you, you know, uh, Paquito Españolo, you know, that's all you know. Uh, you can do it. Uh, pray that the Lord would raise up new students. Pray for this leadership development and mentoring to flourish. And then lastly, please pray. This is our first year where our support's been low. For the first six years, our support's been 95, 105%. Uh, God is so good. He's always gracious, but he has been especially gracious to us. I just want you to know as a church, the church supports us. Okay, the elders decide that it is so generous. As a church, you support us. But I want you to know 
that we have more individual supporters from this church who support us individually. You guys give above and beyond, and you are the majority of our support base. I am so, I don't even know how to communicate how thankful I am to you because you guys sacrifice for us. I'm looking at faces in this room, and you are part of our support base. And you pray for us. It's not just about the money. You pray for us, and you love us, and you encourage us. So I just want you to know how grateful we are to you. Thank you. Thank you for loving us and being so generous. The world. Well, that's kind of an update on us. Uh, and so, again, thank you so much for letting me share that with you. And if, if we don't know you and you would like to get to know us, please come up and introduce yourself. Uh, maybe we'll get, go get a, a donut or something together. You know, Shipley's Donut. I haven't had a good donut in a couple years. Um, although I probably shouldn't. Um, we have a little table in the back in the foyer with a, a newsletter sign-up sheet and prayer cards. We just really covet your prayers. If you'd like to get our newsletter, or if some of you realize you haven't gotten ours in a while, maybe you changed your email, just make sure to legibly write your email and your name, and we'll make sure that you get that uh, update. So thank you so much. Well, let me transition a little bit. Uh, and, and Ken and Tyler just wanted me to talk a little bit about something that's been on my heart uh, and predominantly about the church's mission in the world. And I just want you to know, I praise God for all of the evangelistic work that's being done all over the world. Uh, God is doing incredible things for his glory and for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. I recognize that. I also recognize that Lakeside Bible Church is regularly, passionately, generously involved in missions, both locally and internationally. Right Way Prison Ministries, how long has Lakeside been doing that? You know, you take care, you visit the widows and the, and the orphans. You know, you go to the nursing homes. You know, the lamplighters, I know they've had that ministry and, and the youth have done it in, the, in days past. In fact, I met the Davises working with FCA right here, reaching kids on campuses. Praise God for the work that's being done. This team's going to Honduras and, and my good friends over in Honduras, that their training center, our training center, we're all part of the same group. And so you're going to support that work. That's necessary and I praise God for your example. Keep on keeping on. Do you hear that? I'm proud of you. Can I say that? I'm proud of you, Lakeside Bible Church. I also realize God is doing incredible things in China. Do you realize that there are 75 million Christians in China? In fact, there are probably more Christians in China than in America now. God is doing incredible things. I could do a whole PowerPoint on what God is doing all throughout the world, and we would leave this place going, wow, God, you are great, and we worship you. Thanks for letting us be a part of that. And so I'm not discounting what God has done through the church around the world and what he's doing through Lakeside. However, this morning, I do want to focus specifically on something that I believe has slipped through the cracks. Intentionally, I don't think so. Probably unintentionally. And specifically, I want to talk about the unreached people groups. And so I've even put it on the screen, my purpose this morning, in this uh, second sermonette, uh, just to review the Great Commission. Do you know the Great Commission? Have you studied the Great Commission? Yes or no? Yes. Do you believe the Great Commission? Do you believe the Great Commission? Yes. yes. And are you a part of the Great Commission? Yes. Praise God. So it's not like I'm teaching you something that you don't already know. 
But I do want us to review, to reconsider the Great Commission in the context of unreached people groups. And I have done this even in my own life, and it's been incredibly valuable. So just in light of the unfinished task of reaching the unreached people groups in most of the nations, uh, the nations that like us, the nations where they have good water and good food and good education, uh, no restrictions on religious beliefs, you know, they just welcome Christians with open arms. Those are the countries we're going to reach, right? Is that what the Great Commission is about? Most? Some? Next slide. What does it say? All. And so you can either read this or open your Bible, whatever you want to do. You know this passage. What is the primary command of the Great Commission? Make disciples. Even in the Greek, it is the main imperative and the other commands are participles. What does that mean, Chris? I don't know grammar. It just simply means that the other three are supporting the main imperative. If I can say it just simply like that. The main primary command is to make disciples. And so Jesus tells us how to make disciples. He gives us, first of all, the mandate. What is the mandate to disciple-making? Go. What's the focus? Where? Where do you go? As you go, yeah. We got some Greek grammar students here. What is it? What's the focus? All the nations. All the nations. And again, the challenge is, and, and what I hope to show us this morning, is I don't know that's being done. In fact, I know that's not being done. Go. As you go. Where? The focus is all the nations. Now, if you look through the Old Testament and the New Testament, does God, Yahweh, have a heart for the nations? I mean, just open the Psalms, and you see time after time, Psalm 67, why does God bless us? So that we would, in turn, take the blessing of God and go out to the nations so that they would praise, fear, and worship Yahweh. That's why God blesses us. And so the psalmists are calling on the nations to praise God. What's interesting, this word nations literally is ethne. It's the, the word, what does that sound like in the English language? Ethnic. That's really what it means. It's an ethnic people group. And so when, when, when we have this idea of if you're going to make disciples, you have to go. For what? to see a church for every people group. And that's really what we see here in Matthew 28. The mandate is to go. But the method, what is the method? Jesus tells us. How do we make disciples? Baptizing, teaching. Baptizing and teaching. What is baptism? Well, we know it's a symbolic act where this new convert publicly declares his or her allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, this implies evangelism is taking place. New convert comes to faith in Christ, turns from their sin, turns to Jesus, and immediately is what? Baptized. I am with Jesus. So it's a public sign of both inward repentance and identification with Christ. 
But is that enough? Is it enough to see people make public professions? According to Jesus, what else needs to happen? Teaching. Teaching most of what I've taught you, right? Is that what the verse says? All. Is that easy? No. There is a lot to teach. In fact, how much truth do you know right now? You're at a solid Bible teaching church. You know a lot, don't you? I know a lot. How much of that do you consistently apply? What does it say? Teaching them to observe, to listen with the perspective of applying and living. It's not enough to teach them truth if they don't apply it. So is it enough to send a short-term trip to an unreached people group? That's a start. To teach them, and will the word of God return empty? No. We know it won't. And so praise God for those short-term trips. But how is this commission going to be fulfilled? To all the nations. Someone has to go there, learn the language, learn the culture, translate God's word into their language, use it to share the gospel and share Christ with those ethnic people. God is in the business of salvation. Praise the Lord. He calls us to be faithful. Proclaim it. He will do what needs to be done in their hearts. And as God saves people, what do we see? A church. Is our job done? No. Teaching. It's this ongoing, continuous process where the nationals have to know, have enough knowledge and enough ability to know how to apply it in their church body so that when you leave as the foreigner, they keep doing it. And now they are reaching other villages and towns in their own ethnic language people group. Does that make sense? And so that's what this is. Now, have you ever seen that in the Great Commission? Maybe you've studied this. Maybe you're like, yeah, amen, Chris. But for some of us, maybe you've never seen this, even in in the Great Commission. The mandate, go, the method, baptism, and teaching, what's the motivation? What does Christ say? It's through Christ's authority. Isn't that what it says? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Is there anywhere where Christ's authority is not? No. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. Amen? I think sometimes I forget that. But he is Lord. He has authority. And with his help, we might fulfill the very command which he has given. And will he leave us? Will he abandon us? What does it say? Always. Even to the end of the age. Always. That's a promise that motivates us to do the work. In fact, let me read this quote by John Stott. I love this quote. His authority on earth allows us to dare to go to all the nations, all the nations, even the ones that don't like us. His authority in heaven gives us our only hope of success, and his presence with us leaves us no other choice. When you love Jesus with everything, you can't say no. motivates us to make disciples. And of course, what's the result? If we had time, we could open Revelation 7, 9 and see a great multitude standing before the throne. 
worshiping God, worshiping the Lamb from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. And as Piper says, mission exists because worship does not. Well, guess what? In Revelation 7, worship, perfect. It's there. And that's the end result of this process. That is the Great Commission. I know you know this. I know you're doing it. But the challenge is, when it comes to unreached people groups, next slide, is this the Great Commission or is it, in fact, the Great Omission? And that's the question I'm challenging all of us to ask ourselves this morning. Is it really happening or is it being omitted? Is it being neglected? Let me just show you a a picture of the world This is a picture of the world. Green means there's significant ministry, churches, the word of God has been translated. Yellow means it's nominal. There's some, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And red means unreached or least reached. Did you get that? There's a lot of red, isn't there? Next slide. Uh, Just to tell you a little bit about unreached people groups, just quickly you can go through these. A people group contains people with a similar ethnic and linguistic background, there's about 16,800 uh, people groups throughout the world. Of those, 7,000, and again, these are approximate numbers, are unreached or least reached, meaning they've either never heard or there's so few that have heard and that have professed that there's no church that's now doing the work. And that's what that means. 42 percent. How do you get designated unreached when less than 2% of your population is evangelical? Next slide. I want to show you a map of the world. And so I already already kind of went over this, what the red dot means, what the yellow dot means, the green dot. That's the world right there. Where do you see green? America, North America, Canada, Pacific, Pacific. South Africa. You know what's cool? There are more Christians in South Africa, in China, and in Brazil. In fact, they, they are saying that the center of Christendom has moved from America and Europe, and it now is going to these other countries, these third world countries. There are more Christians in Korea and China and Brazil than in America. Wake up, church. We are post-Christian. Did you know that? You know what that means? We are no longer a Christian nation. Next slide. Where do you see the red? There and next one. There. What we call this is the 1040 window. The 1040 window is filled with most of the world's unreached people groups. Now, why do we call it 1040? Because that is the latitude 10 degrees latitude, 40 degrees latitude. And it basically goes from West Africa all the way over really to Japan and then Indonesia. Do you realize more Muslims live in Indonesia than any other country? Indonesia has more Muslims than any other country. 70% of the people living in the 1040 window are unreached. 70%. 31 of the least reached countries are in this window. And do they live in a spiritual vacuum? No, what does the green mean? They're following Allah. They're Muslim. Or they're Buddhist. Or they're Hindu. Or they're communist. Atheist, whatever they have turned to in China. 
It's not like they live in a spiritual vacuum. What about Albania, Kosovo, Macedonia, the places where we're serving? This is basically where Albania is on this window. Next slide. There it is. That's where Albania is. Some of the resources I've looked at says Albania is unreached. Some say they're not. Uh, it, It doesn't really matter because we know the statistics even in Albania. Let me show you some of them. Uh, this is a map of the unreached people groups and reached people groups in Albania, Macedonia, and Kosovo. Let me show you some statistics. First, Albania. Albania, you can just do, yeah, there you go. Six unreached groups, 0.3% evangelical, 0.3. Very, very small. Kosovo, I already talked about it. Seven unreached groups. There are 1,600,000 unreached Albanians, Muslim Sunni Albanians living in Kosovo, again, that have not heard the gospel, never met a Christian. It's right next door. That's why we have such a heart to penetrate Kosovo. What about Macedonia? Nine unreached groups, 600,000 Albanians living in Macedonia. Protestant evangelical Christians in the Macedonian church want nothing to do with these ethnic Albanian Muslims, so they refuse to share the gospel with them. Why? They call the Balkans a tangle of knots. They have spent years hating each other, killing each other, taking each other's land, that even as a Christian you cannot forgive, which begs the question of is genuine repentance taking place? Obviously we know that scripture. Uh, Forgive as you've been forgiven. Uh, And so these Christian groups want nothing to do with them. So what's the answer? You send Christian Albanians from Albania to Tatova. You see Tatova there on the, on the kind of the north part of that circle of Macedonia. It's unreached. This is part of where we are. We have a group of Han Chinese people living in Tirana that's unreached. I see them everywhere. They only speak Mandarin. Nobody's reaching them. In fact, there are huge population of deaf the deaf people living in Albania, living in Kosovo, living in Macedonia. No one speaks sign language from the church. Think about that. No one's reaching them with the gospel. Now, church, does that grip your heart? Does it? Does that bother you? That you have people who are living and dying and they've never even heard the gospel? That should bother us. It bothers me. This is the great commission. Or is it the great omission relating to the unreached people groups? Well, let me just ask you, what prevents us from fulfilling this commission? Look at the 1040 window up there. Those are people. Millions of people. What prevents us from fulfilling the great commission to these unreached people groups? Is it a lack of training? Do we not know how to tell them about Jesus? Do we not know how to learn language? How to learn a culture? Is it fear of persecution? In fact, more Christians have been martyred in the 20th century than all of the first 19 centuries combined. Every 24 hours... 480 Christians are killed because of Jesus. 24 hours, 
480, that's more than this church, killed. Who wants to sign up for that? Let's go to those countries and tell them about Jesus. Maybe it is fear of persecution. Because remember, most of these countries in this 1040 window are the most restrictive. And so if they're the most restrictive, they're probably the least evangelized, right? Is it a lack of knowledge? Do we not know how to do this? Is it a lack of opportunity? Well, Chris, there's just no, no one's asking me to do it. No one's providing ways. I just don't know how to do it. There's no organizations that exist to help us do that. Is that what it is? Is it a challenge of access? Remember, 6,000 of these 7,000 unreached people groups live in the 1040 window, and they are openly hostile to Christians. In fact, 86% of the world's Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists have never even met a true Christian. 86%. Now, why have they never met a true Christian? Because the Christians are not going right? Do you expect them to come to you? Do I expect the, the Sunni Muslims in Tatova to come to me in Albania? And I got to tell you, I was standing on that hill looking at Tatova, and my first thought was, wow, I am so glad that I live in Albania and Tirana, because it would be really hard to live and minister here. And I just began to weep Because I'm a missionary looking at Albanians who don't know Jesus, and I was thankful that I wasn't there. Is it a lack of funding? Maybe we don't have enough money. Let me show you some statistics really quickly. The first, maybe we don't have enough money to do this. The average evangelical Christian ties about 2% of their total income. Next. It's roughly what most Americans spend on one Christmas each year. This is total giving to the church, to World Vision, to whatever, Campus Crusade. From this 2%, only 0.1% goes to missions. 0.1 of 2%. This is what we spend on diet programs. Next slide. Of this 0.1%, this is going to missions, okay, 0.1%. 87% goes to support ministry and reached people groups. Almost 90% of the small amount that is given to missions is going to places where the gospel is already there. Did you get that? 13% is going to unreached people groups. This is what Americans spend on Halloween costumes each year for their pets. Does that put it in perspective for us? Hypothetical observations. Here we go. Oh, yeah, one more statistic. This is 0.001% of our total income. And just to put it in perspective, for every $100,000 that the American evangelical Christian makes, only $1 goes to reach these unreached people groups. That's what we are giving toward reaching the unreached. It's what I'm giving. It's what you're giving. Maybe some of you aren't. Maybe some of you 
are giving more. Praise God for you. I was so convicted when I started to study the unreached people groups, realizing my own indifference to this group. Hypothetical observations. The church has roughly 3,000 times the financial resources and 9,000 times the manpower needed to finish the Great Commission. Is it that we don't have enough people and resources? No. Next slide. Because realistically, if every evangelical Christian gave 10% of their income to missions, we could support 2 million missionaries, assuming they wanted to go. 2 million. Is it that we lack funds? No. Is it a lack of cross-cultural missionaries willing to go? Possibly. If I was to show a map of where most of the Christian evangelical missionaries are, do you realize that one in ten would be in an area ministering to an unreached people group? Ninety percent of all international missionaries go to places where the gospel is already there. Ninety percent. Is it a lack of love? I wouldn't say it's a lack of love. In fact, I would say it's an excessive amount of love. I would say that the American church has grown to love the wrong things. We, and I don't know that it's intentional. I don't think we decided, you know what? We're not going to really be sacrificial. We're not going to pray like we should. You know what I think happened? I think we just kind of grew indifferent over time and became apathetic. I think we just got caught up in the tyranny of the urgent good things, just overcrowded our schedule, and we stopped thinking about the Great Commission. We stopped thinking about unreached people groups. We stopped thinking about what the gospel did to us. And because of that, our love for the lost Shrunk, withered. And again, I know there's some of you here that this is not true. I know that. Because I know you. But I know there's been seasons in my life where this has happened. And I'm living overseas doing this. I'm reaching unreached people groups in some of these other countries. My love for Christ has grown apathetic. I have a quote there from Piper. Uh, Actually, maybe I don't have a quote. Let me read this quote from Piper. Piper says, No, it isn't for lack of money that there are so many people groups with no missionaries. It's because we have so much. The comforts of the West have made us soft and cautious and fearful and indulgent and self-protecting instead of tough and risk-taking and bold and self-controlled, and self-sacrificing. So church, at the very least, just ask yourself, is this me? Have, have I grown to love the American dream and the American lifestyle to the point that I don't even think about people who will live their whole life never even hearing the gospel? At the very least, prayerfully consider if that's true in your life. If you have lost that burden, if the gospel has stopped meaning something to you, the gospel that saved you, 
So what needs to change? Let's say that this is true. Let's say that this is a struggle for us, for me. What needs to change? Well, first of all, the love of Christ needs to control us. The love of Christ. Because without this, you can't do this. And I love this passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live, who is they who live? It's us. That we might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Church, are you living for yourself? Because if the love of Christ is controlling you, because you recognize what Jesus did on your behalf, then his love is what controls you and controls the purpose and the direction of what you do and who you are and how you spend your time and what drives you. And my fear is that the American church year after year is going to continue to just kind of drift off. And it's like, wake up! There is a whole world out there dying and going to hell. They've never even heard the gospel. Does the love of Christ control you? Are you living for yourself? Or is the gospel driving you? And then secondly, the gospel unashamedly drives us. Not only does the love of Christ control us, but the gospel unashamedly drives us. Remember the words of Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16? Got the verse up there for us. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power for salvation. It's the power of God. For salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Is there a solution to the unreached people groups, to the dilemma? Yes, yeah, the gospel. Are we ashamed? Why don't we share Christ with people in our neighborhood? Why don't you look at that Hindu man who works at that gas station and you don't engage him or try to build a relationship with him, guys? Why don't you share the love of Christ with him? You realize there are unreached people groups right here in Houston? You don't have to come to Albania to do this. You can do it right here. Are you? Are you ashamed? Paul says, I'm not ashamed. In fact, that lack of shame ended his life as a martyr, didn't it? The love of Christ controls us. The gospel unashamedly drives us. And then third, this results in a gospel-driven life. This is a changed perspective on my purpose. Why did God save me? God did not save me so I could live a comfortable, problem-free existence. He saved me so that I could live the gospel and preach the gospel, first in my own life, then to my family, then to my community, and eventually to the world. Amen? That's why he died. It's a changed priority. So Jesus says, Mark, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. 
2 Timothy 1.8, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Paul is always quick to point out, look, this is not an easy road. If you're going to reach unreached people groups, it's not going to be easy. When they cut off our water for nine weeks in Albania, that wasn't easy. But it's not the end of the world. And guess what? If you go to Indonesia and they kill you because of your faith, because you are proselytizing, sharing Christ with Muslims in Indonesia, and they kill you, what do they take away from you? What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. For to me, to live is Christ. To die, gain. Is that your perspective this morning? Christian, follower of Jesus, the one for whom Jesus shed his blood and died for you? Is that your perspective? Well, let me just close with some quick application. Setting a new world record for Lakeside Bible Church. Pray. Pray for the gospel to go forth. Pray for your neighbor. Pray for that Indian guy down the street. Pray for Roma, the gypsies in Albania. Pray for the Sunni Muslims in Tetova. Pray for the unreached people groups throughout the world. Commit to pray for a new unreached people group each week. Lead your family in it. Joshuaproject.net. You just go on there, operationworld.org. They have a whole thing where they, you just click on there every day or every week and they give you a people group and some prayer requests. Just make that a habit. It's that simple. Pray. Secondly, go. If I can borrow from the words of Steve Green, across the street or around the world, the mission is still the same, isn't it? Go. Stop making excuses. Take a batch of cookies across the street and share the gospel with your neighbor. There's no reason not to, is there? You know how to do it. Pray and go and be obedient and let God take care of salvation. Cast the seed. Think about going short term. Chris, you don't understand. I don't like to go overseas. Uh, I don't speak Spanish. They, They tried to get me to go to Honduras. I said no. Poquito espanol. That's all I know. Pray about going. You're like, Chris, I can't even imagine going to Honduras, let alone Pakistan or Indonesia or India. You know what? Pray. Just start praying, saying, God, will you change my heart if that's your will? Pray. God, use me. If God wants you in India, he's going to make it clear. (laughs) He's going to get you there, whether you want to or not. If God wants you right here doing evangelism for the the sake of Christ and the Great Commission, he's going to make that clear. But at least be willing to go. At least be willing to pray. Visit the prisons. Care for the orphans and the widows. Love your neighbor. Be willing to be sent to an unreached people group. Thirdly, send. What do you send? You send Bibles. You send resources. You send money. You send missionaries. You send teams. 
Again, according to Matthew 28, how is that great commission fulfilled in reaching all the nations? Bible translation, church planning. Did you get that? You translate the word of God into their language and you plant churches by doing evangelism and discipleship. And you train the nationals and then when they are doing it, you leave and you go do it somewhere else. So be part of sending. You know what's so cool? I was on the Joshua Project website. There is a way for you to send evangelistic letters to Muslims, Sunni Muslims living in Turkey over the internet. You can share Jesus with Muslims living in Turkey, one of the least reached countries in the world, right from the comfort of your own living room. Is that not cool? Be a part of that. Send evangelistic letters to Muslims in Turkey. Why not? Give your time. Fourthly, give your talents. Give your treasures for the work of the gospel. Considering sponsoring a national pastor or a church planning effort or being a part of a pioneering ministry. If we want to see the unreached people groups being reached, something has to change. Doesn't it? Something. You pray, you go, you send, you give, and then lastly, you learn. I think this is good for America. I think sometimes we just forget. We forget about the nations. We forget about the people who are dying and go to hell. Learn. Read books. Go to these websites. Read autobiographies and biographies about missionaries. Go to Voice of the Martyrs and Brother Andrew. Learn about the persecuted church. Do a word study on the word nations throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. You want to learn? That's a great way to see God's love for the Gentile nations. Just begin to study the word nations throughout the Old and New Testament. And as you see God's heart for the nation, what are you hoping will happen in your heart? That you will develop a love and a passion and a willingness to go and surrender and sacrifice for the sake of the nations. Because isn't that why you are studying the attributes of God? Oh, we just want to know more stuff, Chris. That's what we do. We're a Bible church. Why do you study the attributes of God, church? Because you realize you're not like him, and you want to know him, and you want to have a big view of God. Why? So that you can in turn turn around and live your life and be like Christ, right? So study these things. Learn In fact, Martin Luther King Jr. said, nothing in the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance. Is there a lot of sincere ignorance in the American church? It's not excusable. So just in closing, let me read this quote by Piper. Thank you for bearing with me. This last slide. God is pursuing with omnipotent passion a worldwide purpose of gathering joyful worshipers for himself from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He has an inexhaustible enthusiasm for the supremacy of his name among the nations. Therefore, let us bring our affections into line with his, and for the sake of his name, let us renounce the quest for worldly comforts and join his global purpose. So Christian, I want to challenge you this morning. What is your quest? Is it a quest for the world's goods and the world's comfort and the world's security? Are you trying to do half and half? 
Or are you aligned? Are your affections and your passions and your desires aligned with the heart of your heavenly Father? Because he cares about all of the nations. Amen? And he has called you, and he has called me to reach them. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful uh, for the opportunity to consider your word, consider the Great Commission. And Lord, at times it seems like we are faithful and we thank you for the opportunity to be faithful because we know it is only in your power. But at other times we recognize there is an indifference and an apathy that grows in our heart. And so Lord, I pray by your word and the spirit living in us that you would reveal if we are apathetic if we have cast our affections on lesser things and we love the world, challenge us, help us to repent, and give us grace to hear and obey and change, to be like Christ, to think like Christ, to speak like Christ, to have the priorities of Christ, and to look at the world and the nations through new eyes because of Christ, his love in the gospel. We love you and we thank you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.